a story's worth telling, a collection of interviews where extraordinary, ordinary women speak, sharing experiences and answering three questions on a game-changing moment, something heard that inspired, and what the words When Women Speak say to them. In this episode, we get to hear stories from Dr. Susie Cater, an acclaimed expert in conversion copywriting and messaging, who helps women entrepreneurs use the power of words to get noticed, without holding back or censoring themselves. The tagline of Susie's business gives me chills. It reads, words that go deep for women making waves. Mmm, how yummy is that? Hailing from the small country of Wales, Susie later moved to the bright lights and big city of New York in the US of A. We hear what led Susie from a career in academia to entrepreneurship and why she loves working with female entrepreneurs so much. We hear childhood stories of being a square peg in a round hole and doing her best to fit in. And we discuss the challenges of showing up and saying what you want to say. If you have any comments on what's shared, please do let us know. We really do love hearing from you. Oh, right. Okay. We're live. We're here. We're recording. And I'm joined by the very fabulous Susie Cater. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me on. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm really thrilled that you, um, you, you agreed to be interviewed. So we've only spoken once before, haven't we? So um, Yeah, like, like this, but lots of like Facebook messaging and commenting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I will have, by the time this airs, have just shared a little bit about you at the beginning. But I just, um, looking on your website, I just love that it said that how you use the power of your voice to help others amplify theirs. And I just thought, oh, that's just so delicious, so delicious. And of course, you even have a doctorate in how to do it as well. So (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, So I was wondering... If we could just start with where the where that came from that that wanting to use your voice to help others amplify theirs yeah that's an interesting question because I think it's something I've always been drawn to, and I've actually always been drawn to the idea of other people's voices and kind of inhabiting them and making them powerful like as a kid I loved like acting and getting into other people's characters and exploring voices and just how emotions are expressed and those kinds of things and then as I grew older I studied literature at university and I went on to do a doctorate in French literature specifically um And I looked a lot at women writers and also writers of color and how they express themselves and tried to, um, like their kind of poetic goals for carving out a space for themselves in, you know, a culture that had for so long been dominated by, you know, white men, white men wrote literature. And, Mm -hmm. um, what, what could it look like when other voices started entering and writing more and expressing themselves and how could they, how could they speak in ways that were different perhaps, and that actually enriched, um, the culture and literature in ways that nobody had, had thought of because, you know, they weren't out in the tradition. So that's kind of where I was. And then 
I fell kind of accidentally into entrepreneurship where um, I always loved what I was doing in terms of like researching the literature and I love teaching um, and I taught a lot um, of literature and also French language so the idea of you know actually teaching someone how to express themselves in a whole other language but in institutionally um academia I found to be a very a little bit soul destroying um it's it's a it's a very intense road to follow and it's very um linear like you that's a you know you get to it's like you you've made it when you're like 45 and you're made an associate professor or something and um my kind of adventurous spirit was just craving something else and i also was having health issues from the stress of being in that role so i decided to do something else and i've always been great at writing so i kind of fell into doing freelance writing work and the more I was doing that, I started working with some women entrepreneurs and I did some courses on online entrepreneurship. And I just realized that there seemed to be kind of a specific hesitation that I was seeing in a lot of women business owners when it came to expressing themselves. And I thought that's something I can help with. And I've, I've always had a gift for kind of putting what other people's emotions into language and and it can be harder for myself doing it for myself for sure like writing for myself is always harder than writing for other people but when it comes to other people um i can really help them pour their voices into written words that just feel exactly like them and what they've been dying to get out and wanting to say wow wow so yeah so hence where it comes from about you using your voice to help others amplify theirs it's like yeah. an opportunity for you to 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 speak as well but uh, yeah I love yeah. that and I, th I think for all of us you know it can be very hard sometimes just to let our voices shine through as they as they are or as we'd love them to be and we kind of all have these lights inside of our, ourselves that are dying to get out but but there are a lot of things we're taught as we're growing up, as we're kids, as we're even as we're adults, you know, you know don't be too loud. Good girls aren't loud or um, all kinds of things about the way we use our voices. And we don't realize we've internalized them until it comes to a moment when we're trying to write something. And suddenly we're just bombarded by these nasty voices in our head who, that are telling us, you know, you can't write that. No one will like it. Or why does this matter? This is boring. Or that sounds so stupid. Just all these very unpleasant things that you would never say to anybody else, but that the inner critics in your head can, can, can say very confidently in a way that often ends up silencing people. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you spoke there about um, things that could be said when you are younger. So can you tell us a little mm. bit about where you grew up and if any, if there are any kind of like standout moments around um, using your voice or not using your voice? Because um, I know that where you live now is very different to, to where you actually <laughs> started yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, this is, um, it's a long story, but um, yeah, so I grew up in North Wales in the UK in a rural seaside town, Llandidno, in case anyone's been up to North Wales. Um, and and um, it, it was a funny upbringing in a way because my, so my parents are kind of like 
educated professionals um, and my family's very international and um, none of them are kind of originally from Wales which I think has helped, has, has led to me not having a Welsh accent. Um, my dad's a, a vet. My mum was a teacher in a local um, further education or community college for Americans. And, um, but growing up, I, I went to kind of the local state school and it's a very, very poor area. And, um, and basically, yeah, a lot of the kids in my school, most of the kids who, um, who I was at school with were in like public housing um, and not many of them went on to university and it's just an area where you can feel very stuck I think it, a lot of people feel very stuck and then some people really want to get out but it can feel like very far away like London can feel like very far away just like Liverpool feels like very far away and um, and and then I ended up getting a scholarship to a private school when I was when I was 11 and people were very, very different there. It was very, very wealthy, very, very wealthy people, um, kids of families there. So I went from one extreme to the other and it really threw me off. It threw me off a lot. And, and I felt like I didn't fit in in either place because in the first place, I, I had so much more than the other kids I was at school with. And um, in the next place, I, I had a lot less materially than a lot of these kids. And, and I went on to, to university at Oxford, which again is a very privileged um, place, very wealthy place. And there were a lot of people from tremendously privileged backgrounds that, that it just blew my mind that I, was, that I was at university with some of these people who were like children of prime ministers or whatever. And I always had in the back of my mind, you know, the kids I'd grown up with, and some of whom I'm still friends with to this day and feeling like basically when I went home, I felt like, oh, I can't talk about where I'm at university because because that's too much. People think I'm too big for my boots. You know, I'm bragging. I'm at, I'm at Oxford. I don't want to say too much, but I don't want to talk about that. I should hide that. And then when I was at Oxford, um, I felt like sometimes I could sound stupid. Like I, like I didn't have the, the expensive education that a lot of these kids had, other kids I was at school with had. And I was like, I'm just from a different world to them. And so I didn't quite feel like I fitted in with those groups either. And so for a long time, I think that impacted my voice. And also in terms of my accent, um, I have kind of a Southern accent now, but I had more of a Welsh accent. And when I went to university, um, people kept commenting on how I spoke because most people were from the South of England and they were, they were like, oh my God, you, you say grass or you say glass or you know various things like that. And um, they would actually say that when I was just speaking, um, which is so rude, <laughs> but it really affected me because I was like 18 years old and you want to fit in and um, yeah, so I think for a long time there was a kind of push me, pull you going on with how I felt about my voice. And it was actually one day when I was a graduate student and I was preparing to give a talk at an international com conference and I caught myself um, saying a word, I, I can't remember what it was, but instead of saying grass, I was saying grass to be kind of southern about it. <laughs> and then I thought, what the hell am I doing? I'm like, this is, this is, so, this was 10 years ago that people were saying these things. And it's so stupid that I've internalized this and that 
because it's an important occasion, I'm speaking in a way that I wouldn't normally speak, still trying to fit in. And I'm just done with that. I'm done with that. I would just want to speak the way I speak and, um, and stop worrying about it all the time. And obviously I now live in America, so I've had to adapt the way I speak just to be understood at times. <laughs> like in, re <laughs> in restaurants, they're like, what? Water? What's Tomato? <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I think I think those are definitely some things that that have come to the surface with, with my voice. And also I think generally just just wanting to fit in as a teenager, especially when I moved to a new school, I felt very isolated. And then I was a, someone who always got very, very good grades. And, and I kind of stood out like a sore thumb for, because I did that. And people, yeah, so I got bullied for, you know, people would say, oh, you're a nerd. And, um, and I felt like I had to hide certain aspects of myself because I, I didn't actually like getting good grades came very easily and very naturally to me. Um, but because people called me names because of it, I felt for several years as a teenager, Oh, I need to, I need to hide that. I need to do worse. And I would actually, you know, get questions wrong sometimes on exams so that, um, so that I would have marks that were more in keeping with everybody else, which is so crazy when you think of it now and how much parents, you know, obsess over their kids doing really, really well. And I was there like deliberately getting things wrong just because I wanted to fit in. So yeah, that was definitely another, another moment when it was definitely, yeah, not quite letting myself shine there because of just the perils that come sometimes with standing out. Wow, wow. Yeah, that, that's an amazing, amazing contrast with those, with the, the two schools where you were when you were in your younger years and then on to Oxford University. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so interesting then what you actually went on to study because that, that all somehow seems to kind of fit with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're asking every podcast guest three questions. And one of those questions is, what do the words when women speak say to you? And it just feels like asking you that question right now just seems to kind of fit with what we're talking about. So when you hear when women speak, what does that conjure up? What's, what, yeah, what comes I to you? I think for me, it kind of conjures up it's almost like, you know, that idea of the phoenix rising <laughs> or um, a kind of shedding of certain things, of letting go. Because I think so often as women, we're, we're like, especially if, we're, if we've been in situations where, the, where we're the only women in the room or um, I think that we feel or we've been made to feel like our voices aren't valid or appreciated or our input isn't as, as relevant or as welcomed with that because there comes um the we sort of erect like internal blocks and we start self-censoring ourselves oh we, you know is this going to be criticized or oh maybe someone's not going to appreciate this or i don't want to step on any toes we have all these blocks and ways that we kind of try to protect ourselves and kind of end up fencing ourselves in. So for me, the idea of when women speak, it's like a letting go of some of that kind of emotional and mental baggage that we carry around with us 
all the time and 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 just a feeling of kind of liberating but also daringness sometimes because women aren't always welcome to speak and and I know that I often myself personally kind of seek out spaces with other women and um, safe spaces that feel safer but I think it still feels this idea of when women speak it, it, it can be this wonderful moment when women come together and bond but it can also feel like there's a certain transgression there from from what we're used to from what we're used to seeing with with women you know saying staying silent being nice being being somebody who listens and supports you know women we're usually seen as people to confide in people who listen and um yeah i remember actually when back in the days when i was in academia i read an article by a female professor and she was saying oh you know it's the end of the semester and i made a comment to one of my colleagues my male colleagues about how i had a box of tissues in my room and he said why and i was like well aren't you getting all the students coming to your office and and just crying <laughs> to you because they're so stressed and he was like no and then she realized how much more emotional support work women professors often do just because women are seen as the people who listen which is a you know a tremendous trait but often ends up with us not being able to voice what we want to voice yes yeah and also it sounds like um such a different lived experience as well then from yeah. from you know so they're both professors yeah. but having a different experience with the students and with what with what being a um a professor is in academia that's that's really so interesting isn't it yeah and it's it really if you think about it it really impacts on you know women's prospects for success in that career track because you're supposed to publish 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 that's your mm. voice your 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 um you know research is sort of the number one criteria and then teaching comes after that a lot of the time and you know if no if no one's coming to your office hours then you have more time to think and to write whereas if you're spending several hours a week with people literally crying on your shoulder like that emotional burden placed on you and the time constraints and and your kind of creative juices and energy can often be kind of drained and you don't quite have the space held for you in the same way yeah yeah no it is it is fascinating and yeah it's one that even within being we, you know we can recognize that the, the difference was between men and women and um the privilege there but even within um women being different so women of color having yeah, a different yeah. lived experience from yes. white women and um and recognizing that and um yeah i i just i find it all extremely fascinating and I, and there seems to be a level of freedom for a lot of people uh, men and women and whoever um in entrepreneurship which is what you've now gone into mm -hmm. have you found that there's something within entrepreneurship that does seem to provide a space to be who you are i think that's a great question i think that in theory yes right like that's why everybody 
that's why everybody's that's why so many people are drawn to it the idea of being your own boss and certainly i would say that i'm pretty pretty um what's the word? like I, I i'm not somebody who likes to be micromanaged and um uh i'm quite a strong spirit i suppose and um and so that obviously really appeals to me at the same time i think that I mean, nothing's, nothing's perfect or idealized. And I think that what happens actually for a lot of women entrepreneurs is going into entrepreneurship provokes a huge amount of um, sort of self-development work. It certainly has for me because you have to learn how to protect yourself and how to create boundaries with clients, how to deal with people who don't necessarily you know, appreciate what, whatever you're doing to market yourself. Um, you have to start, you have to be the face of your business if you're a personal brand, uh, which is a scary and courageous thing to do. And if you really want to be distinctive and stand out, that involves showing up with a lot of courage in the way you share your stories and your experiences and your client stories. And, um, you kind of have to own your achievements, which which for many women is is not intuitive. And I've worked with so many clients where where I literally I'm not, I, I it's like pulling and I I'm the same way, but it's like pulling blood out of a stone trying to get you know them to give me testimonials or I'm writing their about page with them and I write something great about them and I literally see them cringe on the camera and I'm like, is there a problem? Oh, I don't want to say that, but I suppose we have to. <laughs> yes, we have to. <laughs> uh, I had one client once. Um, you know, she she sent me some testimonials, and I po I popped a snippet of the testimonial on her website for her, and she she reviewed the copy, and then she wrote in a comment, "I don't think we should say this. I think you've edited it to you know sound, make me sound better than I am," and I was like. This isn't edited. This is the testimonial. <laughs> She's like, oh, that that person really said that about me. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So maybe if I rephrase what I said then. Um, so entrepreneurship is more about uncovering who you are then. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think it's 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 stepping into in, in an ideal world, it's stepping into a more empowered version of yourself and sharing it, which which I really love. But it yeah, it takes it takes a lot of courage and I'm gonna keep saying that because being an entrepreneur is a very courageous thing to do, I think. And it's very easy to suffer from, you know, comparing yourself to other people and to fall down into rabbit holes of thinking that other people have the solution for you when actually there always has to be you always have to ultimately kind of listen to your yourself and not the scared fearful version of yourself that's trying to keep you small but the part of you that the, you know the strong creative part of you that has a vision and wants to make it happen i just want to come back again because i love it so much about you saying how you help support women to amplify their mm. voice because I think that's what it is I think we can it's it's finding finding people to support what you've already got yeah rather than looking for something you haven't got and trying to kind of um you know feeling feeling that yeah you're lacking in some way and need to fight need to 
add more you know who's yes. got the answer to this the answer to that it's like no everything's there but that, of course there can be people to, can, that can support you to to bring that out exactly exactly yeah you said that really nicely love it, <laughs> love it. <laughs> okay we're going to move on to um another question that we ask our podcast podcast guests get my words out um which is to let us know about something you've seen or heard that's left an impression on you such as a book or a film or mm-hmm. a poem a speech and just to yeah just to tell us about what you experienced Okay, this is going to be a fun one, hopefully. It's Taylor Swift's documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's Miss Americana. It's on Netflix. And I watched it a couple of, I watched it, I think, a month ago. And I thought it was really interesting because... It's great. It's great. Yeah, it's it's so good. And I think it's so interesting because she is someone who writes her own music which I think is so wonderful like anyone who can do that is is amazing and and she's just been so vilified um and there are so many people who say I hate Taylor Swift and um just the amount of vitriol that's been poured on her um for years has 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 been incredible but um she what really struck me were a couple of things was one was there was a moment when she decided that she was going to she was going to use her voice politically by endorsing the Democrats in the 2018 midterms and by encouraging young voter turnout for the Democrats in Tennessee. Um, and this was like completely shocking to to a lot of people in America, and she got so much hatred for it. And what really struck me was like the amount. I didn't realize like how much conflict there was both in her team and internally before she did that um, and, and wrote the first post kind of coming out doing that. And she was being told not to for her safety. And just the, there's a scene where she posts the Instagram post saying it and then she throws the phone onto the couch and she like curls up in a ball screaming and it kind of struck me because I feel like that is that is an emotion that a lot of us have when we show up um, online as entrepreneurs or um, just kind of something about there's something about like putting yourself out there in a heartfelt, vulnerable way that really is in line and, and in alignment with your vision and what you believe in. And it's really fucking scary. And, um, and just seeing her experience that, I was like, yeah, I think we all, it's a common thing. Like even she feels that way. And obviously the stakes are higher for her, but um but I think we can all identify with that moment. And then afterwards, she like steps into that even more. But the moment of terror when you like jump off the cliff and it feels like there's no going back because you're you're planting your flag in the sand and saying, this is where I am. This is what I believe in. It, it's a scary moment. And I'll say it again, you know, courage and bravery in the way that you step up and in your voice. Um, they're so integral to, to, to doing that. And then... Also, what was the other thing? Oh, just the fact that she went completely silent for a whole year um, after. Yes. Yeah, yes. completely silent and had this breakdown. And 
and felt as if because she felt that so many people hated her that nobody wanted to hear what she had to say and and she and she just went silent and and that to me was you know you know she obviously had inner demons that she was working through too but how when we haven't worked through those <clears throat> those inner demons and battles that we need to fight that the way that other people's um responses and words can affect us is very it can be very very damaging and i'll tie that back to kind of the self-development work i was talking about because the more visible you are the more that the more kind of not necessarily nice stuff could come your way and and that's why it's so important to kind of accept who you are and accept and and kind of start I guess loving and accepting yourself so that when other people don't necessarily it's not quite as painful. There's something in there around recognizing the impersonal nature though of some of these um attacks on your character or what you've said and things like that because um although it it, though it definitely definitely feels like a personal attack like you know like being stabbed in the heart yeah really um that feedback is it is literally that it's feedback and it's it you know it often it often is um just part of collective conditioning and all manner of different things going on particularly around like political stuff as well if you've got a certain you know if you've got a particular opinion and someone has a different opinion um it's not that they're attacking you personally Mm -hmm. it's that is quite useful to see (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you're not gonna you're also not gonna die from someone else having from disagreeing with you or saying that they um you know dislike you um and one of the things that i noticed in that taylor swift documentary which she shared is that she she grew up wanting to be liked she'd kind of yeah. she kind of associated i'm okay when people like me if people are clapping and and, and, yeah. and then that means that i'm okay so yeah. obviously if she ever received anything negative it's like i'm not okay now I'm yeah. not, you know yeah no it was a brilliant documentary I'm glad you picked that because it really fits with what with what yeah. you do about. So, perfect. <laughs> so yeah so within that documentary Taylor Swift had lots of kind of realizations and mm-hmm. like you said recognizing that she can actually voice what she wants to voice rather than what she thinks she should say and our third question that we ask all of our guests is what have you come to realize that could be described as a game changer? Yeah, oh, I had an answer to this one and I think I forgot what it was going to be, damn it. I'll take it, just take a moment. Well, I think, I think one thing I will actually say is that um, kind of riffing on what we were just talking about in the Taylor Swift documentary is that, is that I feel for a very long time um, that there was a kind of, that I, that, yeah, I, I very much identified with what she said in the video about depending on other people's validation, like, like, um, and especially in things like things of, like about the work I do, um, you know, having to have someone say, oh, this is really good. Oh, I, I love this. It's brilliant. You know, needing the other person to say that to give me a sense of security 
in what I'd created, even what, so even though, you know, I would think it was pretty good, I'd sort of be on tenterhooks, like, oh, are they going to like it? Are they going to like it? Are they going to like it? And not kind of trusting in, in myself and my knowledge of what was good and what was needed. And I think that's part of it, been part of a huge part of my growth in terms of what I do as an entrepreneur has been accepting like stepping into that expert role where you're not just somebody who someone's gonna hire to do a random task that actually you're going to be somebody who's going to help draw things out and guide them and be someone that they listen to rather than just being like a contractor for hire so that's been a huge part of, of my evolution in terms of me speaking and helping other women to speak um yeah and like learning to trust myself more yeah yeah love it love it okay so to finish what would you like to share with maybe to women who are entrepreneurs who are wanting to be more trust that they can say what they want to say um, is there anything that you'd like them to, to A, know kind of generally, but then also um, how, I mean, I'm going to put the, the links to how people can contact, yeah. contact you because yeah. I'm sure listening to this, there will be <laughs> women who are in business are like, oh, I need to speak to Susie. So yeah, so what a message to women entrepreneurs out there. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think I would like to say that um, if you find it hard to speak or to write, then you're not alone or and it's not it's not like a non-normal thing to be experiencing. And, you know, even I experience it with my own messaging sometimes because it's hard to do it for yourself. And, and sometimes you just can't see outside of yourself long enough to to draw out the bits that need to be drawn because we all have these crazy these crazy voices in our heads i mean not to sound make myself sound mad but you know <laughs> completely no, bonkers. I, I know exactly what you're talking about i'm sure most people do. yeah and um, the kind of negative self-talk and so yeah so the, obviously that's that's what part of a huge part of what I do with helping women um, uncover their voices as entrepreneurs but I have lots of lovely free things to help women so I have uh, my Facebook group which is the wealth creating messaging group on Facebook where I go live do lots of videos and lots of posts on all this good kind of stuff like that you've heard me talking about today and I also have a quiz, which who, who doesn't love a quiz? Right? Everybody I to, loves a quiz. <laughs> I used to spend my teenage years doing so many quizzes. So it's a free seven question quiz and it's what's your wealth creating messaging personality. And basically over my years of doing this, I've identified four kinds of messaging personality and they can all be you know really profitable but you know they work in very different ways so if you'd love to know more about that and how to kind of basically lean in to who you are to create more wealth and abundance in your business and just kind of communicate in a more empowered inspiring way that 
conveys the message you really want to share, then go take my quiz at suzycater.com forward slash quiz. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Susie. That was, uh, I really, really enjoyed spending this time with you, hearing, hearing all about your work and uh, a bit of your journey to get where you are today. So yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. worth telling not to define us, comfort us or dictate a particular path. Their sharing illuminates an objectified world where we so innocently lose our way. Without holding on to your story, who would you be? What could happen? In each seeming moment, there's potential. Everything arising and yet with no beginning nor end. Telling the stories we've clung to so tightly, the space in which they all arise becomes more obvious. With stories set free, who you are is revealed. And that open, real and honest expression of life, you are, shines in the world.